We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Fake to the air for Matt Lacoste, who's got it for the New England touchdown. Play action over the top. Edelman's back. Edelman 40. Edelman 30. First down at the 29-yard line. He's in motion. First and goal. And Brady gives to Burkhead, who is bouncing off a tackle and into the end zone for a go-ahead touchdown. Welcome, everybody, to a holiday edition of the Rockwell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Tarico from NFL Network. It's December 23rd, 2019. Happy Festivus, Bills fans! <laughs> Chris, it's a holiday week here. We're celebrating all kinds of things. What do you have on the docket for yourself this holiday season? I have an airplane to catch tomorrow at 4.40 in the evening. Flying down to Atlanta to see the parents. I haven't seen them in nine years on Christmas, so it'll be nine years. Literally almost the same amount of time since the uh, Buffalo Bills, uh, what, (laughs) 10 wins? Made the playoffs? Yeah, probably. Just about. So you're going to fly down there, Chris. What does one do in a place that never has snow for Christmas? Does it even feel like Christmas when you get there? No, it is weird. Although I remember that when I moved back up to Buffalo, the first Christmas, 2011, no snow Christmas Day here in Buffalo, snow Christmas Day in Atlanta. It's the weirdest thing. That'd be a mindfuck. It absolutely would be. I mean, folks, regardless of what your plans are, we are just two days removed from one of the bigger games of our 2019 season. And it seems like Santa came early for us Bills fans, if only to take a hefty dump down our chimney. Chris, there's no way around it, so let's just just tee this thing off. Our Week 16 recap. The Patriots 24, the Buffalo Bills 17. Our stats of the game. Josh Allen, 13-26, good for 50%. 208 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions or fumbles and a 102.7 rating. 
Tom Brady, 26-33, good for 69.9%. 271 yards, one touchdown, no turnovers, and a 111 rating. Devin Singletary, 3 yards per carry, 16 total touches, one target in the passing game. Frank Gore, zero touches. Cole Beasley, 7-12 for 108 yards. Tom Brady, one pass of 15 or more air yards attempted, and it was a completion. One pass of over 15 air yards. Sony Michelle, nine runs of five yards or more, two fumbles. The Bills' defense, zero sacks, zero passes defended, four quarterback hits, and what felt like 5,000 missed tackles. Guys, during last week's podcast, I made an analogy and compared this game to what I thought, I made a Rocky analogy, and I compared this game to what I thought was going to be the sequel. And instead, what we got was a repeat of the first Rocky if Stallone had spent the first two rounds accidentally punting himself, just punching himself in the groin. I mean, Chris, it was, it was a frustrating, but exciting, just, just this wonderful and at the same time horrific disaster of a game. And I'll be damned if we don't try to pick our way through it. Yeah, it's good to know that you can go uh, into the fourth quarter uh, with the lead against the Patriots. I mean, and that's it. There were silver linings all over the place, but every player would tell you there are no moral victories. And Chris, where we walked away from the Ravens game, talking to ourselves about moral victories, I didn't feel the same way after this one. I don't know. It's hard to quantify. I mean, let's let's start at the top. Patriots, true to their word, came into this with a playoff mentality. I mean, during his media engagements this week, Bill Belichick said, among all of the stuff that he says, I mean, Chris, he gets behind a microphone and he just grumbles nice things about his opponent that don't mean anything for an hour until everyone just falls asleep and stops listening. But the one thing he said that stuck out was that his team was going to be approaching this as if it was a playoff game. And with that, you had to know they were going to bring it. And Jesus Christ, did they? We... (laughs) Last week, we broke down and articulated all the struggles of the playmakers around Tom Brady and how how cumulatively they've kind of led to a lot of dysfunction on that side of the ball for the Patriots. Saturday's game illustrated why Bill Belichick is going to go down as the, the game's best head coach ever. If for nothing else than his ability to convince his team to just unfuck itself when it really matters and it's crunch time. Were you surprised by how the Patriots came out and just started handing it to us? I mean, they've been doing that for the last, what seems like, 20 years. There's no different, at least in my my opinion. Especially not when a team like that says, okay, we've had enough. I'm going to get this right. From all their bumbling in December, the, the Patriots playmakers were on point. Look at Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry. A combined five of six on their targets for 46 yards and three first downs. The Patriots running backs had a hundred, had over a hundred yards on the ground. Five of six on their targets for 83 yards. Burkhead and White just killed us. Those, that, that tight end group that we talked about, how they really didn't contribute anything in any of their losses, went four for four for 23 yards and a touchdown. Their offense held the ball for almost 39 total minutes of the football game. 
Chris, when you take out special teams time and think. Doesn't say that they held on to the ball that long, and yet we were still in the game. And, and, and that's it, right? That's the feeling you walk away from this with. Their blitz packages were incredibly effective. I mean, when you looked at up to this point, the Patriots offensive line, I mean, they stunk on ice. And at the same time, our defensive line couldn't make them replicate that type of shitty performance. Ours was clearly the weaker of the two. Allen was under siege for most of the night. It was only thanks to his mobility. I mean, Cody Ford had a really, really bad night in Foxborough. And I think one of the things that we forget is that what is Bill Belichick known for? Making young players suffer. Specifically rookies. Rookies and second-year players historically struggle, regardless of position, to play any kind of Bill Belichick coach team. Yeah, he generally makes your weakness look... Glaring. Yeah. And that's what we saw with Cody Ford. I mean, he got beaten like a drum a lot of different times over the course of Saturday's game. And then the, the one of the things that you look at as a whole on offense for the Patriots, what you saw was them winning on early downs. I mean, there was a tweet here from Cover One, Chris. We're talking about the Patriots on their third downs. They were 7 of 14, so that's 50% on third down. Nine out of 14 third downs happened in the first half. Seven of their conversions came within, it was third and one, three yards or less. So what that means is that they're succeeding early on in downs. Their rushing attack was getting five, six, seven yards a clip. So even if we did force an incompletion, it didn't matter because they only had to go three yards to get the... Uh, Chris, they just chewed and chewed and chewed the clock. I can tell you're getting irritated right now about it. Oh, I, and the I, game's I, over. With. I'm, I'm, I'm gripping my beer bottle a little bit harder. As, as we talk about it, Chris, I start ringing the bottle and I... I I'm resisting the urge to throw it across your kitchen because I'm getting I'm getting that feeling in my chest like I had on Saturday night watching this game. I mean, Chris, these are things that the, typically the Patriots have already dialed in by the time December rolls around. So the fact that we're talking about them just suddenly flipping a switch against us in Week 16, I think it's telling that it. You know what I mean? I think it says something about their team that it took to this point for them to finally flip the switch and become the Patriots that people are used to seeing. But it's still incredibly frustrating that, again, it's us. Why does it have to be us? What are we doing, Chris? I mean, I don't know. I'm not the football expert. All I know is that Brady, I think, is 32-3 and all-time against Buffalo. It's incredible. For the second time this season, we lose by a single score. I mean, credit to the job that they did, but fuck them. Fuck them just the same. I don't care. If we want to talk about where this all started to go wrong, I look at defensive execution. I mean, simply put, Chris, things on the defensive side of the ball went about as well as Tommy Callahan selling his first set of brake pads. I can't stop! There's a cliff! And your family screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs. Here comes a meat wagon. And the medic gets out and says, oh, my God. Jesus, I got to open a fresh beer for this one. The Bills defense that we watched win the day versus Pittsburgh. The Bills defense we saw that kept us in the game against the Ravens. Chris, that group was nowhere to be found. 
What I saw on Saturday brought back shades of what we were under Rex Ryan, in the sense that fundamental football seemingly just went out the window. I have a hard time grasping this. I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Given the state of their offensive line, given the state of their playmakers, for the tech, Chris, for the second time this season, we couldn't get pressure on Tom Brady. I don't understand it. He just came off a game where he took a beating against the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay? The Cincinnati Bengals. Every team that they've played for a month has found a way to get pressure on Tom Brady. And then we just can't manufacture it. We can't get a sniff of him. I mean, when you look at what we were doing schematically, we talked about how Isaiah Wynn struggles against complicated looks. We didn't bring any of that. Our defensive line was kind of left to just win their matchups based on individual maneuvers. They didn't try to run any games up front. They didn't try anything. Stunts and twists. That's the thing. They didn't try anything creative. I like how you know those terms. Stunts and twists. I don't know if you could describe I saw Eric Turner tweet it out once or twice. (laughs) It was frustrating to watch them just run headfirst the offensive line with no real creativity to their pass rush design. And, and that, in and of itself, is essentially, if anything, Chris, what that underscores is the need for an upgrade of athleticism on the, our defensive line heading into next season. I mean, even on second, third, and long, Chris, second and 13, and they get nine yards, but 10 yards. Why? Because we can't force Brady into making negative plays. One of the things I noticed that was interesting on that front, Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson, the first time Shaq Lawson played like 66% of the snaps, they used him a lot. I think it's that, that might be his highest percentage of the season. Murphy wasn't getting the job done. Jerry Hughes was almost invisible in terms of pass rush. Shaq Lawson got close a couple times, but there wasn't anybody there who could just on their own win. And that's frustrating because I don't understand why a coach who's a defensive coordinator at heart and a defensive coordinator who's clearly talented, like Leslie Frazier, couldn't find a way to manufacture pressure. I mean, Chris, think about how bad it went last time. The same narrative came out of the last game. When we couldn't sack Tom Brady, we lose to them at home, then they go on the road to play Washington, and Brady gets sacked four times. What? What does it take? What aren't we doing? I don't understand. I just don't understand. And I think that's the most frustrating part about this is that that lack of pressure left the rest of our defense really badly exposed. Well, the one the, the thing that I noticed, more so than the pressure on Brady, was the lack of fundamental execution of tackling by the second level, oh. specifically the linebackers. Dude, it was brutal. I mean, it was an uncharacteristic killer for this team. You've watched them execute in that way against Pittsburgh, against Baltimore. That's why they were still in the game, was because Baltimore's just onslaught of rushing attempts. We found a way to hem them in, make that team pass the football more than it could run it. Yeah, you heard it at the end of the the show intro, the Rex Burkhead touchdown. I mean, I don't even remember what down that was because I was so angry that Lorax didn't make that tackle. Poyer and Lorax were both in behind the line of scrimmage, and somehow he bounces pinballs off of both of them and just ends up in the end zone. Milano had multiple chances, multiple chances to tackle ball carriers, including a big one on third down where Rex Burkhead literally just threw him to the ground and ran away. Starlo Tulele 
You're 340 pounds, and you hit a running back in the backfield, and somehow he's still running. What do we pay you for? You're like a goddamn sumo wrestler in there. If you can get your meat hooks on somebody, I expect them to stop. Even if you can't tackle them on your own, I don't expect to see them running free down the field. It's, oh, Chris, it was incredibly frustrating to watch them. Just I, I don't know that there was a player on the defense who didn't have at least one missed tackle. Do you? I don't, I don't think so. We're, we were missing tackles left and right. It and was then, egregious. What did, and so you know what comes from that, though, is that now you get our linebackers out of sorts. I mean, in the postgame, in the locker room interviews, you can go to buffalobills.com and listen to Jordan Poyer talking postgame in the locker room. And he's talking about Edelman's catch on the, what they call a, uh, what is it? A was option. it a pick play? No, it was the big catch and run by Edelman there in the second half. Okay, I think that was, uh, you heard that in the intro, the second play. And he gets asked second, about what, what happened uh, on that play. And he admits that, well, they, they keep running these weak side option uh, play action, these runs, which sets up play action. And they kept sucking our linebackers downhill. And he admits, yeah, we the linebacker vacated his zone and they dropped it right in behind him. And he says, that's a tackle I got to make. He admits that he had poor technique. He was trying to play the ball, not the man, and it got away from him and resulted in a massive play on what was ultimately a scoring drive. That, to me, speaks to the fact that you you have to control the line of scrimmage because for as much as... I mean, Chris, I saw multiple times where Matt Milano would just vacate his spot. And then you see Trey Edmonds having to come over and make tackles on what should be Matt Milano's zone because he's already vacated it because he got fooled by the play action. That's what happens when our defensive line allows itself to get bullied up front. That's what's going to happen more often than not. Your linebackers are just, Chris, it's human nature. When you know that this team is gashing you on the ground, you have no choice but to come downhill to try to stop that. And unfortunately, you saw the toll that it took on our linebackers. Ultimately, as a unit, they played probably their worst game. Chris, when's the last time this season you can remember them playing not just to a man, not just one guy or two guys, but as an entire unit, uh, playing as poorly as they did. On it's it's simple. If you look at our whole, your schedule as a whole, because I don't think this Sunday is going to make any difference about it. But if you look at our schedule and all the games that we played so far, uh, when was when did we get blown out? Philadelphia. That would be that game because that's the only time we've been blown out this year. We've been in every game. So our defense hasn't played this poorly in over a month and a half. Correct. So the silver lining here is that this is, co- this is, A, you went up against one of the best coach teams in football. You went up against one of the best quarterbacks of all time, even if he is on the downturn of his career. They took it to you. And your defense had one of its worst outings, and you were still in the game when the fourth quarter came around. Still in the game! When the fourth quarter came around. Do you want to know why, Chris? Josh Allen. Iceman. Chris, he's... I, I, I picture him with aviators on like Val Kilmer from Top Gun. Never seen it. He's Iceman. He's the best. I mean, I, what the hell am I supposed to say about this guy? Every time I try to criticize him, I have to... I, I You do it... And then you immediately have to eat crow. On one hand, he's winding down the first half with 19 total yards passing. 
Chris, 19 yards! I see. <laughs> Chris, how? 19 yards. What is that? 50 ish feet? Something like 60. that. It's, yeah. not, it's just shy of 60 feet. <laughs> That's all you've managed to throw the football for. And as I start to talk a little shit about how, Jesus Christ, this kid is killing me. He's just big moment and he's just, he's just hanging us out to dry. He drops this ridiculous fucking rainbow of a pass that no one can defend against. And we're at the one yard line, Chris. And just like that, we're set up to tie the game. And you have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, how the hell did that happen? How the hell did we go from a place where we were the worst thing to happen to offensive football since Georgia Tech? And all of a sudden, we have a tie football game with the New England Patriots. I do like I do like the move there for McDermott to throw it to Dawkins. Because generally, you would think in that situation, he's just going to kick the field goal with a couple seconds left and not try to take a touchdown. But, I mean, in that situation right there at the end of the first half, he's playing to win. And then you think, you, going back to Allen, you start the second half. You're tied. You're going back and forth, back and forth. And then Allen, on a bootleg, scrambling, under pressure off his back foot, finds John Brown on a gorgeous route that beats Stephon Gilmore so badly, he might still be out there somewhere in the stadium looking for him. Yeah, I, 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 watch that, I watch that touchdown a couple of times just to watch Gilmore get turned. Dude, he, he, that, that ball went off his back foot. On the run, falling backwards, pressure in his face. Chris, he throws that ball on a rope, what, 30 yards downfield? Yeah. <laughs> 30 yards downfield. And he just takes it. Brown just takes it. Fuck you guys. You're not catching me. To the house. The longest play by the Bills all season and the biggest play of the year given up by the Patriots defense. And just like that, the Bills have the lead. Chris, we're winning in Foxborough in the third quarter. It's impressive. I don't think we've done that since the 90s. Chris, we're beating the Patriots in the third quarter in a game that we were trailing. And I'm out in my yard running around with my dogs who are just as, they're just excited because I'm excited because they're great dogs. I'm talking to my cool neighbor and yelling at my other neighbor to get back inside because it's not even 8 p.m. and I will not quiet down out here. Quit on bother me, yo woman. Go fetch me a beer. Now, that's not to say that they didn't make some mistakes. Chris, he's still learning how to handle the blitz. Okay, This is something you've seen it more and more. And the Patriots, again, you're talking about Bill Belichick. What does he like? To, young quarterbacks don't beat him. They just don't. I get happy feet when he gets blitzed. And I, So, Chris, they routinely sent pressure. Okay, And teams, honestly... They've been doing it more often this season than they did last year. And it's a nuanced part of football. Knowing how to beat pressure with a quick, accurate pass, just based off of your pre-snap reads. Taking a look at the defense, identifying where the pressure is coming from, and knowing who your guy is going to be. Not just knowing, but communicating it pre-snap to that player. Hey, I know the blitz is coming, and it's coming to you. Which generally in that situation should be Cole Beasley. Exactly. There was a lot of times where... you. You just saw him slow to pick that up. He's learning. He's way better at it now than he was in his first year. But it's clearly something he hasn't mastered. 
But Chris, can you say that you're angry with the way Josh Allen played? Uh, no, I think the best play made by him wasn't the pass to Knox at the goal line at the end of the first half. The touchdown pass to John Brown in the second half. It was the phantom face mask call on fourth and one. That it, was, it was basically like the Dallas fourth and one 2.0. I mean, he was going to leap, and then he was like, oh, shit. Nope. And then he muscled around the line, got that first down. And at that point, you want to take your shirt off and run through a goddamn wall for your quarterback. I mean, I wanted to. <laughs> Chris, don't take your shirt off. Your dad bought it. I mean, it's, it's atrocious. That's right. I'm an athlete. <laughs> oh, guys, what we've learned is that against playoff caliber competition, Josh Allen hasn't gotten over the hump yet. And yet at the same time, when everybody else on this offense fails to execute, when nothing else works, okay, Chris, when no one else is capable of lifting their play to try to save the moment, Josh Allen steps up for this football team. He puts this team on his back. It's, it's incredible, Chris. And ultimately, we finished just shy of leading what would go down had we won one of the most improbable victories over New England ever, given the way that the rest of the team around him was playing. That right there, the, him coming through in the clutch for us when it, when it mattered and being so close, Chris, inches away from cementing things, speaks to his makeup, just the guts and the toughness that this cat has. And the... Chris, does anybody now question why Brandon Bean prioritized him as a long-term project at quarterback over some of the far more polished prospects that were available? Oh, yeah, like Josh Rosen. (laughs) I mean, it's a quality in a quarterback that you just can't teach. You either have it or you don't. And if we're to believe that he's going to continue growing, then Chris, after what you saw on Saturday... You have to walk away from it disappointed that you lost, but excited about this guy, right? 100%. Did you ever think you'd hear these words coming out of my fucking mouth? Eventually. it's. I, belie- I believed in Allen pre-draft. I thought this was going to be one of the better draft classes of quarterbacks that we've had in a while. And I believed in Josh Allen. You'd come around to it. And so where I guess we, we sit now is this idea. I've, I've seen some things. You want to talk about fair criticisms and things that aren't fair. Coaching and preparation questions are flying around all over the place. I've seen a lot of crazy shit on social media, one of which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But there is a feeling that this loss is the fault of our staff or somehow in the... Given the fact that it wasn't just one player but a wholesale failure to execute on multiple fronts that doomed us. Some of it's fair, but some of you people are out of your goddamn minds. Now, here's what I... Chris, you want to talk about some fair criticisms of a team that just went into Foxborough against what is the, what, uh, second best team in the AFC? Maybe one of the top five to six teams in all of football in a place where nobody really wins. And you, you gave them a fight. There are some things that you can criticize. The first one, if you wanted to say offensive play calling was bad. In the sense that you didn't target your running backs on those linebackers out in space. You didn't do enough to get Devin Singletary going or really commit to making him a focal point of the game plan at all. Well, who was dressed at running back? Singletary, Gore, 
Senoris Perry, but he's special teams. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, I mean, what are you doing with Yeldon? Well, Chris, this is the thing. If a guy like me, if a guy like me, here sucking down Moosehead, hanging out with your dumbass, can point out through just simple film review and statistical study that the Patriots linebackers are vulnerable in space and have been chewed up by running backs in just the past month, I have to imagine that even the worst NFL offensive coordinator could come to a similar conclusion. So the fact that that was just just painfully non-existent in our offensive attack and that your second and third most talented offensive players in Singletary and uh, maybe Gore doesn't fit that bill, but Chris, he's there. He's in your top five, right? Yeah. Okay. The fact that neither of them were ever really put in a position to make a positive impact just reeks of poor planning. So if you wanted to criticize that, I'd give it to you. The Gore thing, especially, to your point, if you weren't going to give Gore the ball and you knew that your game plan was going to flow through Josh Allen entirely, why the hell is Gore even active? Why aren't you activating a guy like TJ Yeldon, who has proven throughout his NFL career that he's a weapon in the passing game? If anything, that's where his value is. I mean, if you're not going to use him for this in a game plan that isn't going to involve your short yardage running back, Chris, I feel... Like I'm the Bobs in office space asking the question, what is it you say you do here? Why is he here? Why keep him around? I don't get it. We just have, we gen, we literally just have two running backs on a roster, right? Gore and Singletary. It's frustrating. We have a third one. We just never give him the ball. To me, that's another egregious personnel mistake that I very much think would have helped considering what the game plan turned out to be. I mean, I w- Chris, imagine what we could have done in no huddle, having two running backs that could both catch the ball in space. Imagine the play design, the creativity you could bring to the table. The fact that we're not utilizing this, it's incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. And then if you wanted to point to the execution on defense and preparation for playoff caliber physicality, the Patriots, for all the warts they have, were clearly the more motivated team, which leads me to the question, why wasn't our squad able to get up for this game the way they did? Especially in the trenches, where we've been so good over the last few weeks. And you can point to desperation on the part of the Patriots. You can say they had more to lose than we did. You can point to their experience as players and as a coaching staff. But it's still incredibly frustrating to know that when things matter... That team is capable of coming out and just laying wood on us. And there's not a whole lot we're going to do to push back on it. On the flip side of that coin, Chris, you want to talk about things that I don't think are fair to criticize? I've seen some lunatics out there talking about how Sean McDermott doesn't have quote-unquote it. And that because he can't win in Foxborough, he, he can't win ever. He's never going to win the big one. Does that or does that not sound like one of the dumber things you've ever heard? That is pretty dumb. I, I mean, Chris, that's like that's like a left-handed, well, what is it, a solar plywood flashlight, left-handed screwdriver. Like, I've heard some stupid things before, but that, that takes the kick. And also this idea that our quarterback, quote-unquote, wasn't ready for the moment. Do you buy that? No. Josh Allen tends to show up in the fourth quarter. Josh Allen shows up. 
Josh Allen shows up, and it's the reason that we're in football games, and it's the reason that he's this week's hero. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Chris, I've watched at least a half dozen Bills quarterbacks walk head first into the wood chipper that is the New England Patriots. And in all those games, Bilicek was, was able to not just mitigate, but in some cases, destroy our quarterbacks from a production standpoint. Take away what it is they do. Just force them, force them to be a non-factor in the football game. In this case, on what was essentially a primetime stage against the best in the business, Josh Allen's the only reason the Buffalo Bills were in this football game. Yes, he did miss routine throws that many other quarterbacks would make. Chris, the overthrow to Beasley. Beasley's run, it's, it's like second or third down. Beasley's running. He's got coverage, but he's got it beat. And all you have to do is lay out a six-yard ball out right out in front of Beasley. Let him catch it in stride. He's going to get 20 yards. Maybe more if the safety makes a bad read. And, and instead, Chris, I mean, he just... He, he just just over. Chris, he overthrew him by seven yards. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to throw my drink in some stupid hipster bar downtown, kick over a couple chairs, and maybe get dragged out and handcuffed by police, which almost happened. Okay? At the bar where I was watching the first half on Saturday, a guy in his 40s hit me with this gem of a quote right after, shortly after that pass. He said, that boy throwing the ball, it's like someone using a damn rocket launcher for home defense. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're talking about here. He still has to learn things. But he can also, with pressure in his face, without a good throwing base, hit a target in stride. Make plays that flip the momentum of an entire game with just, Chris, he makes it look effortless the way he just flicks the ball out there. Yeah. And when he connects on a play like that, changes the com- <laughs> he changes the complexion of a game. Well, the uh, he doesn't have to throw a fastball every time. I mean, come on, Josh, throw a changeup once in a while. Ultimately, he can put a team on his back when the moment calls for it. And in Foxborough, he was the force driving his team towards almost this improbable comeback, Chris. And he, whether you agree or disagree, here are the facts. Allen currently owns the NFL's best fourth-quarter touchdown-to-interception ratio. He now is 8-0. to zero. He's got a 109.7 passer rating, which is sixth best in the NFL. He's got eight career game-winning drives since the start of 2018, which is fourth best in the NFL. We were only in that game. Despite whatever developmental rough spots Josh Allen still has, because he was able to elevate everybody else around him on the road in a hostile environment in a game that had way, meant way more to the team we were playing against the best defense in football. Chris, I will take that every day of the fucking week. And then our zero of the week. I had to give it to offensive coordinator Brian Dable. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. I bet if we went back into our show's history... He would probably get the most zeros within a season. That's a fair of anybody. Bet, but can you blame me for picking him, Chris? I mean, think about this. Outside of the fat guy touchdown pass to Dawkins in the end zone, the Bills got off to another slow start. Another slow start. And when you look back at it, 
they, they came out with this really vanilla game plan. And then as that struggled, they started to mix in more RPO and run pass option stuff. And then you started to see the dynamic plays come. And specifically in the second half, where the Bills hit a seven-point lead and ultimately almost mounted a game-tying drive. It's been a theme of a ton of our games this year, Chris, which is why I bet you Brian Dable's been the zero more often than not. Conservative play, which then requires heroics to be made later on in the game. Come playoff time, a performance like that from a play-calling perspective will absolutely get you killed. Right now, Chris, since 2015, teams scoring 17 points or less in the playoffs are 6-19. and 19. It's not good. We cannot afford to get off to a slow start. Can't do it. You cannot. Sc- you can't go a quarter and a half without scoring points. This is the NFL, Chris. You have to do it. You have to find your way into the end zone on a consistent basis because your defense will not always be there to save you. So in that way, I look to what Brian Dable is doing, and I just say, look, if you're going to put us behind the sticks every single game, you will inevitably lose, especially come the playoffs when you're taking on the most dynamic offenses and defenses the league has to offer. Guy has to get his shit together. Chris, how do you feel walking away from this? I mean, it sucks. It sucks that we were in that game literally until the end, despite the time of possession being way outnumbered. But it just it comes down to the fundamental fundamentals of the game. Allen overthrew a couple people. Knox once or twice overthrew. We couldn't tackle for shit. Fundamentals. You have to be able to, and even uh, mental mistakes. Patriots had the ball inside the five, I think, in the fourth quarter, and Jordan Phillips had an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty at him. You can't have those mental mistakes in the playoffs, and you have to execute fundamental football. And when we get in the playoffs, if we're going to play Houston, and Houston starts making the mistakes that we made in that Patriot game, we have to be able to capitalize on those. I'm not going to lie to you guys and act like I wasn't frustrated watching that game. And afterwards, I mean, the loss stings. If only because it's the Patriots. Because the refs allowed some absolute nonsense that you would think by now that I'd be callous to. And because some of the things that you thought you could trust on a week-to-week basis, tackling, coverage assignments, they just seem to evaporate in the face of a physical, well-coached Patriots team. I mean, Chris, I'm not going to lie to you. I hope when those referees, especially the jerk-off who called Rex Burkhead, quote-unquote, in the area of what was obvious to anyone with a pulse that was intentional grounding. It was like 12 yards away. I hope when they use all that money the Patriots are paying them to take a family vacation, they all get Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> with that said... We already took care of business last week, Chris, so there isn't any opportunity lost from this. We're still the five seed in the NFL playoffs, the same way we were before kickoff. And while there might be fear amongst a lot of Bills fans out there that what we just witnessed were cracks in the foundation, that this team, at the absolute worst possible moment, this is they're, they're flailing and that we're going to enter the playoffs on a down note, I feel as though with this head coach and staff, I, I just I believe them, Chris. I believe in them to take this and turn it into motivation. 
Take it as a learning experience. I mean, this comes directly from Josh Allen's post-game comments. And I mean, Chris, when you listen to this guy talk after losses like this, there's no... He's genuinely apologetic, almost to the point where you want to give the guy a hug. He's tough on himself. And he genuinely... Chris, he talks about things like, I don't know what I have to do. You know, they asked him about slow starts, and instead of just giving some nonsense answer, he said, well, yep, you know, I missed some early, so I'm going to I'm gonna alter my routine. I'm going to see if I need to throw more pregame, if I need to start doing some different things before kickoff, but I'm going to get it fixed. Chris, he takes everything on himself. Isn't that what you want, the leader of your team? Yes. Okay. These were his comments after the game. If you look at the teams we've played the past three weeks, they're all playoff-type teams. So getting that experience against these defenses, teams we might be able to see again, it's all valuable experience. Because playing in those games in December means something. Not many people are doing that right now, and we're one of those teams. This Patriots loss hurts for us, obviously, because we don't want anybody to win the AFCs during our game. That's one we'll take to heart, and we'll learn from I'd like to know the statistics on this. Uh, I mean, I don't know how far back you'd want to go, but uh, divisional rivals playing in the playoffs when somebody is 2-0 and in the regular season. Because I do believe it's very hard to beat somebody three times in one season. I don't know. Hopefully, Chris, we get the chance to find out. Here's what I think. When I hear him talk about the fact that he takes this so personally that he's going to learn from it, he's going to continue to grow, I believe he will. I think McDermott and Josh Allen have earned that trust from me as a fan. And Chris, I, for the first time all year, I have no complaints, I have no bitches. I'm excited, coming off a loss, to see what's coming next around the corner. And with that, we're going to quickly talk about the AFC playoff picture coming out of Week 16. I mean, Chris, that isn't how we wanted things to end. But ultimately, there's no more meaningful games left for us to play. We're locked in as the five seed based on Sunday's results. So when you look at the wild card position, Chris, we re- it's been narrowed down. I mean, we have a 0% chance to play the Baltimore Ravens and likely the New England Patriots. They're playing the Dolphins in a game that they very likely will win. We have a, So it, it comes down to like a 15% chance to play the Patriots. There's maybe a 25% chance to play the Chiefs. But the odds on favor for us right now are the Houston Texans. Now, who would you have preferred? <laughs> I mean, you get the the Kansas City Chiefs. They're one of the best offenses in football with a soft but opportunistic defense with high-end pass rush talent, okay? So with that said, your defense may not be statistically great, but when you can rush the passer and turn the ball over, Chris, that's all you need to do in the postseason, when, especially when your offense can score the way uh, Kansas City does. For New England, position by position, the gap between our two teams, it's not as wide as you'd think. But they've got the ultimate motivator, the ultimate planner, an ultimate schemer in Bill Belichick on their sideline, and a not-quite-finished Hall of Fame quarterback. And, as long as they're playing in Foxborough, which they will be because we lost to them, the refs in their back pocket. We've seen it a million times. We aren't quite ready to challenge them, even if we're not that far off. And then the Houston Texans. Now, when you look at their rankings... I mean, they're not anything special. They're the eighth best offense in football. 
the 28th ranked defense, the 19th ranked scoring defense. Chris, who would you rather play out of this crop? Uh, I'm going to agree with you and say Houston, based on their offensive line and based uh, based on uh, what I guess came out today that Will Fuller is injured. So <laughs> I mean, Chris, give me Houston. When you look at Houston, they're the weakest defense in the AFC playoff picture. 23rd in sacks going into Week 16, and if you subtract the interceptions that Jameis, which I've started to call him Thanos Wilson, because he Jameis Winston believes in balance. You know, he wants to snap his fingers and make sure that he has just as many touchdowns as interceptions. <laughs> How do you do that? How are you a guy who's leading all positive and all negative categories for the NFL in one singular season? I think it's Bruce Arians. I mean, what that guy a is a quarterback whisperer. Ye- he can get him to throw touchdown passes. He's not going to get rid of uh, Winston's uh, throwing the interceptions there. Well, they came into that game tied for 12th in the NFL in uh, interceptions or turnovers. But everyone else in the AFC picture was eighth or better. So they're the, the least opportunistic defense. Okay, they, they don't sack. <laughs> they don't pressure the quarterback well. They've allowed an average of 155 yards on the ground since week 10. They've only had one week, Chris, during that span where they held an opponent to less than 90 yards, which is a game that they lost to the Broncos. You mean to tell me that the game that you finally stopped the run, it didn't matter because you got blown out at home by the Broncos. And now they've got fresh injuries to their defensive line. Watson is at big games against some of the best scoring defenses in football, but their team is wildly inconsistent. They've had four different two-game winning streaks, which they immediately followed up with just a crazy loss to a non-playoff team. I mean, Chris, imagine winning two games in a row and then losing to Carolina. And then you go on a two-game winning streak and you lose to Indy. And then you go on a two-game winning streak and you lose to Baltimore. And then, after getting embarrassed, people think, okay, this team finally has its shit together, it's going to be fine. And then you lose to Denver at home. Yeah, that's like been their entire season, right? They they lose and then win two and then lose and then win two. I mean, Chris, this might be the the way everything is unfolding. We still have to finalize it. But if Houston is the opponent, this may be the best thing for the Buffalo Bills. It really might. But with that said, for everyone out there fist pumping about this, you have to hope that the team that shows up in this game is the team that we saw on Sunday Night Football against uh, or against Baltimore. Because if not, this team isn't going to beat anybody. Okay? They still got to go out there and handle their shit. And with that, we've got a week 17 not even preview. It's the anti-preview. The New York Jets, and I'm already looking beyond, Chris. Let's run this back. The time of this Sunday's game, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, New Era Field Orchard Park, New York. The weather, who gives a shit? The call, who gives a shit? The betting line, who gives a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is right, sir. I'm t- That's what I'm talking about. Chris, this game is about nothing more for me as a fan than enjoying a pressure-free day. And what will probably be one of the most relaxed experiences at the stadium you and I have had all season. We haven't, they haven't had this since the 90s. Chris, I don't even know what oh, this is. Yeah, what is it? I haven't what been we, able to legally drink. Yeah, what are we doing <laughs> going to the stadium for the season finale knowing we're already in the playoffs? This is going to be weird. <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, and I can't I, I just can't wait for it. It's gonna be so nice, no pressure. 
We wake up. We get there. We make food. We drink. We go in when we get there. You go in when you feel like getting in. I don't even know how much of the game I'm actually going to watch as I'm going to have conversations with you or with Dan Kimball, who sits next to us. Oh, yeah, no, that's it. This is this is a party, guys. Yeah. This is the closest thing we have to uh, to the, uh, well, what, the, what is it, the Raiders game a couple years ago when the Bills knew they were going to the Super Bowl? This is the closest thing we've had since then where you just know you're in. It doesn't matter what happens down there in the field. With that said, Chris, there's still things that matter that a coaching staff has to weigh. And I'm interested to see how McDermott approaches what is ultimately a meaningless game. Coming off a disappointed loss and playing against a team with a defense that's coached by Greg, breaking legs is playing hard Williams. Fuck that guy. Shady piece of shit with his stoop. Oh, my God. Chris, he's still... His widow's peak is atrocious, and he will not get rid of it. So when I lived in Atlanta... Uh, one of the uh, girls that was at my table at the Bills Backers Bar was lived in Clarence. And when Greg Williams was our coach, he lived in Clarence, too. So his kid went to high school with my friend, and she told me that he got made fun of nonstop and just for whatever reason always carried a football around. And it's like senior <laughs> photo, he's holding a football. Just because his dad's an NFL coach. Well, Get we, the fuck out of here. Chris, Chris, whoa, 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 whoa. His dad can be a head coach anytime he wants to be. Oh, you, you, is, how dare you disparage the man? My bad. But so with that, there's a conversation here to be had about how should this team approach the game. I mean, Chris, you got to weigh reps versus team health. I mean, there's certainly an argument to be made after a game like Saturday's where your execution, which is something that McDermott prides himself on, Failed you in multiple aspects. You have to admit, Chris, that there's got to be some desire on the part of the coaching staff to get our starters out there, test some formational things, and put a few successful drives together, just kind of as a confidence booster, before they go into a wild card playoff game. Can you agree with me on that? I could see that, but, I mean, there's certain people I would prefer to, to sit all together. Well, and that's it, Chris. That's the thing you have to weigh as a head coach. The Bills are inexplicably, after years of being cursed, one of the healthiest teams in the NFL. Ty Insecki is the who is still kind of a Chris, I'm gonna keep an eye on the practice report. They're probably gonna let him rest one more week. But based on his timeline for his injury, it seems about time that he would start coming back to practice. And he might be available. Other than that, he's the he's the only person on our injury report. Wait, Mitch Morse is not on? I don't know. We're going to have to keep a close eye on that. But here again, Chris, are you going to put a guy who just got nicked up at the end of a game like that out there on the field? No. Absolutely not. He's no. already not playing. No, I would I'll not. I'll call him I would, out now. I would, I would not play Mitch Morse. But so far, Ty Insecki's been the only person besides Mitch Morse with any sort of injury issue, and you know they're going to essentially put Morse in bubble wrap for this week. Outside of that, no one has been appearing on the injury report. But as the Seahawks showed us yesterday, on any given Sunday, some wild shit can happen. Chris, that's how the Seahawks found themselves not only losing to the Arizona Cardinals, which is improbable on its own, especially considering it was a backup quarterback. Brett Hundley. Chris, I saw the box score, and I thought, I've only had two Bloody Marys. 
I couldn't have misread that, and I had to put the game on. It blew my mind watching the way Seattle got handled by Arizona in that game. I mean, it's 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 brutal for them, especially this time of year, because now they, Chris, you don't get that extra week of rest. They very likely could end up a wild card team. Not only did they lose the game, they lost two starting running backs to IR. They lost a left tackle to knee surgery who they think he might be able to come back at some point in the playoffs. Throw those injuries out of the heap of them that they already have to key defensive players. Chris, their postseason might be over before it even gets off the ground. Chris, it's gotten so bad they've reached out to Marshawn Lynch who hasn't played a game since, what, 2016? No, last season, week six. Okay. All right. Why 2016? Why did I think? I think, I think it, for them, he hasn't played. Because then he had that Yeah, then he went with, to the Raiders. With the Raiders. And then when he left the stadium during halftime, mm-hmm. <laughs> he got ejected and left the stadium and never came back. Okay. But so, Chris, when you look at it through that lens, considering health has been one of the biggest advantages our team has had over the course of the season... It wouldn't seem like a smart idea to jeopardize that when you're so close teams in the AFC playoff bracket, would it? Yeah, I, there are certain players that I don't think I would play on Sunday, and I think it, who are they? For me, at the top of the list, I, I would even dress Devin Singletary. Okay, that's fair. That's that's probably my number one. I'd this put, smells like a TJ Yeldon game, right? Yeah, they haven't used him all year. You said that earlier in the year, and it didn't necessarily but, 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 work but out. But here's the thing. This is a game where you need to see, okay, if I'm going into the playoffs, can I use you for anything? I need to know that if an injury occurs and I need to call you up, can you do something for me? Have you had – because think about it, Chris. It, it's almost like in hockey, how they rotate their goalies. Yeah, you don't, like goaltenders never play back-to-back games. Yeah, you do, what you don't want to see is – you go into the playoffs, somebody gets hurt, now you have to call up a running back who hasn't seen, seen for a playoff run, that hasn't seen live action in what? A couple months. A couple months? You don't want that. Let him go out there and bang it out. Get all of his reps in one week. Sharpen him up. Yeah, I'd also, I'd probably also, I would also dress Duke Williams. That's a fair point. I mean, you wouldn't want to, any, any other. You pos- wouldn't want to risk John Brown as your number one wide receiver. No, right? any other any other position. I don't know. I don't know um, who who else. Because you I don't know enough no. about the depth chart, but no, it's okay. I wouldn't. Chris. I wouldn't know who else to bench. Those Devin Singletary, John Brown. That that's it. Do you know how proud I feel sitting here that you understand the nuances of a roster in the NFL? God damn it! Give me a high five. That's what I'm talking about, sir. This really is a festivist miracle, folks. Chris understands it. I love it. No, there is no right or wrong answer here, but here's what I'll say. Knowing the type of person that you're going up against as far as a defensive coordinator, knowing that you're playing a team that has a chip on its shoulder because it knows it's missing. the They're out of the top 10 for the NFL draft, and they've also, I don't know, they're, but they're a gritty team. They're a tough team. They've got a little pride, and they've got a dirty defensive coordinator. I wouldn't subject anybody to injury that you don't have to. There's some key pieces to this team, like Josh Allen. Chris, Josh Allen goes down. This team isn't going anywhere. Matt no. Barkley isn't leading this team to a playoff win. No. Do we do we even have a practice squad QB? I don't know. I'd have to look at that. Because if we do, call them up. Dress them. Bench Josh Allen. I just know that I don't want to see 
anyone integral to the success of this team long-term out there taking unnecessary hits. I, th- I almost think at some point, maybe you scratch it, Oliver. Maybe you roll out another Vinny Taylor. Let him go out there and do that job. Because ultimately, this game means nothing. And a, w- a win or a loss, in fact, a loss helps the Bills in the sense that it knocks the Jets down the draft ladder. One more peg. I'll take that. I mean, you guys can all, hey, you guys weigh in on this. Tweet at us at Rockpile Report and let us know how you feel, whether whether or not they should just carte blanche, bench all the starters, get them all rested, protect them all from injury. Or if you think that trying to find some continuity on offense is more important than trying to save health. I don't know, Chris. It's an interesting conversation. I'd like to hear what other people think about it. Like I said, at Rockpile Report, tweet at us and let us know what you think. The most important part of this entire week, though, is the final 2019 tailgate. Chris, I think that we've had a successful year of tailgates. We've met a lot of listeners. We've had a lot of fantastic guests show up. We've had people travel from around the world to come to these things. Yeah, Swenson. Swenson's been in. Swenson. You got... Uh, Hugo. Hugo. Hugo brought brought us one of the most... And that's the thing. Like People show up and bring us things. I have a hot sauce. A hot sauce from our listener in Quebec, Chris. Montreal? Yep. It's one of the greatest... Chris, it's one of the most unique hot sauces I've ever tasted. We've gotten to meet listeners from all over the country, which is crazy to me. Say so can't Ottawa, <laughs> Ottawa, Minnesota, Australia, Portugal, Mississippi, Mississippi, and Rochester. <laughs> you guys are the best. The fact that you guys want to take time out of your Sundays to come have a beer with us. I mean, this is Central New York. Kevin, uh, Kevin brought his entire family. Yep. It was awesome. Guys, we urge you to come on down and hang out with us, but ultimately, I feel like this has been the best year of tailgating I've had in a long time. Even if I did get struck by a flying tent at one point. Yeah, that did happen. That did happen. So with that said, I'm going to put it out there. On the menu for this week, I went back over my notebook. And yes, you fucks, I keep a notepad, just a little pocket notepad with scribblings and notes from each tailgate. What worked, what didn't, what I liked, what I didn't like. A lot of it's Chris and his shitty attitude. <laughs> I'm just trying to pack the truck and get in the goddamn stadium. It's all but I think I figured out I'm the doing. best spread to put out for this event. Chris is making a sausage dip. Yep, telling sausage dip. I'm making grilled pepperoni sandwiches. And that's stick pepperoni, not that pre-sliced bullshit. We're going to have finger foods. We're going to have a drink assortment. We've got Labatt's flying around. We've got assorted craft beers and a little bit of Uncle Drew's cough medicine. I saved it for the last tailgate. It's a little bit of caramel apple cider from Mayer Brothers. It's a little bit of whiskey, some cinnamon and sugar, and you heat it in a tea kettle. So i got to bring my tea kettle over there? <laughs> yes, sir. Folks, a couple servings of that. You're going to lose your inhibitions, your anxiety, your keys, and anything else not safety pinned to your person. And the guest list, guys... We talk about international people. We have Rowan Keating flying in from Australia to come watch a Bills game with us. We'll make sure we'll have uh, Seagram's in the cooler for him. <laughs> oh, oh, you, you know who might have been one of my favorite guests this year? From England. Paul. Oh, yeah, Paul Mitchell. 
Paul, and the reason why this sticks with me is because Paul is one of the few people who's ever had a Seagram's and enjoyed it. He tried telling me about the fruit notes in it, and I was like, who the hell are you? What are you? (laughs) Are are you like the anti-Superman who, like, the kryptonite doesn't affect you? What the hell is this? I just thought he was cool because he rolled his own cigarettes. That is pretty smooth. (laughs) Either way, we're going to have a phenomenal group of people out there for the last week. It's 5330 Big Tree Road, the ass crack at dawn. That's where you're going to find us, and we hope to see everybody out there. And now, folks, Chris, why don't you grab three more beers out of the fridge, restock us here, because it's time for the 2019 Festivus Celebration, the fifth airing of Bill's Grievance. Folks, I know, it sounds like insanity, but for the first time in Rock Pile Report history, we've reached our annual Festivus Celebration, having already clinched a playoff spot. Chris, doesn't this feel weird? It does. How do you how do you how do you complain? How do you have grievances of an, a potentially eleven win team? I'll tell you how, because we are the pettiest Bills podcast in existence, and we've got some bones to pick. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. I mean, guess we're going to get some stuff off of our chests as a fan base. Let's face it. Over the course of an NFL season, even one that ends in a playoff berth, fans can become frustrated, disgruntled over what they might be seeing on the field or what they might be seeing from their fellow fans, the the media around them. And what's, I think one of the most terrible things about that is that that frustration can inevitably leak out into your everyday lives. Nobody wants that, especially during the holidays when we should be enjoying that time with our family Preparing for the excitement of postseason football. I mean, Chris, does anybody really need that type of negativity in their lives? Absolutely not. Exactly. So join us as we both crack fresh beers here. Fill your hands, sir. And with all of the input we've received from our listeners, we come together for this therapeutic and time-honored tradition, the airing of grievances. And at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. (laughs) Chris, I'll see you on the other side, brother, because this is going to get rough. I'm going to start this off with a grievance of my own. Some of you Bills fans drive me fucking insane. Specifically those of you who think you know what it is to be a quote-unquote good fan. I'm going to read you a tweet that I put out on Saturday night in the aftermath of our loss to the Patriots. I said, Tonight is depressing because all the things you thought the Bills had worked out, all the finer points of offense and defense that you thought you had under control, they evaporated. Tonight's team isn't one that will beat a Kansas City, Houston, or New England in the playoffs. Chris, it's fairly... I don't think that that's a stretch, is it? No, because that tweet... When I read that, I was like, "There's not, I don't see anything wrong with this. You didn't like the team that showed up on Saturday night. Nope. Because if that team shows up in the playoffs, we're going to lose. I'm t- and then everyone lost their goddamn minds. <laughs> if you don't show up and, and fail to execute in most phases of the game against a good opponent, you won't win playoff games on the road. That's pretty much a given. Yet somehow, that got twisted by people with thin skin into calling me into inferring that I had called our team categorically 
bad. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you did not at all say that we were bad. Chris, this might be the most negative reaction we've ever gotten to anything I've put on the internet, which is hysterical because it's it gets bad. It gets rough over here. Well, I, did, I did see that uh, the Bruce exclusive from Nick and Nolan show. He tweeted something out about, oh, overthrows to Knox, missed tackles. Same, literally the same tweet that you had. And like people were like, oh, yeah, we got to fix, fix that. But with you, it's like, oh, bills are bad. Oh, well, then you're a bad fan. Well, you know what? The result, Chris, was people coming at me all night, telling me I'm a loser, a bad fan, that I don't know what I'm talking about. Typical social media drivel. What they don't understand, Chris, you do, probably better than anyone because you've seen a lot of it up close and up close and in person. I am almost dead inside emotionally. I, I'd like to refer to it as selectively sociopathic. Before taking up a career in legitimate finance, I used to do collections and skip tracing and covertly repo people's cars. You think a few of you on Twitter are going to bother me or hurt my feelings? It's hysterical. And a lot of you found that out on Saturday night. I get that the internet has no context and that you're able to make up any narrative for anything that you want to read. But for the love of God, some of you people out there, you're just dumb. You're just dumb. You're the type of people that I'd like to see head just run head first into an international combine. You're, you're the sort of folks who need to go ice fishing with concrete boots. And Chris, and Chris, all of the followers that we lost in the process of me just handling this wave of negative criticism, we've already replaced them since then. What I want from Bills fans in the coming year is thicker skin. Both towards your fellow fans their opinions, and the media. Deal with the fact that we're not going to agree on everything. And please don't come at me like I won't hurt your feelings. Because you're not going to like how that ends. Hey! Happy Festivus, everyone! <laughs> it turns out I'm not alone in this sentiment, though. Chris, a record number of our complaints this year for the airing of grievances that we took in from fans seem to revolve around the evolution of our fan base, the apples to oranges comparisons people try to make, and the way that we interact with each other. Chris, why don't you go ahead and read the next one? Uh, my grievance is seeing Bills fans continuing the Josh Allen versus Tyrod debate. Fucking stop already. That is from at Hammered Bills DM on Twitter. <laughs> Chris, I don't even remember, like... It's been, well, what now, two years? Two years without Tyrod Taylor. Well, if you go, no. Right, Why are we still talking about this? I have, it's happening literally right now on Twitter <laughs> over the last two days. If you go to Aaron Quinn's Twitter from uh, Cover One Buffalo, the podcast, Cover One, their Twitter account, their handle, effort, I don't even know the guy's name. If there was ever anybody who was just begging for arson. Yeah. He's just, he's just, he's comparing Allen and Tyrod and, and stating that Tyrod's better. Why are we having this debate? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, here's, here's one a little more relevant. Uh, Rockpile Report for not recognizing me as the first American champion of the Rockpile Report Fantasy Football League. As for the internet portion of Bill's Mafia, quit wanting to fire and cut everyone every week. We'd be 2-14 if we all took your shit sandwich takes seriously. Quit whining and enjoy the ride. That came from Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com, contributor to Buffalo Rumblings, and from Joe Marino's Locked on Bills podcast. Chris, 
We don't know anyone who drinks too much and wants people fired or thrown out of moving vehicles, right? Alright! Alright, fine! Fine! I'll confess that he has a point. One, I'm sorry for not giving him his due. Kyle took it upon himself to restore fantasy football glory to the United States by becoming the first U.S. citizen to win our annual Rock Pile Report Fantasy Football League. Chris? <laughs> there you go, Kyle. Are you happy? Two, that's another valid point. Chris, if we steered into all of the drunken criticisms of people like me on a weekly basis... I have no doubt that Jeff Fisher would somehow be the head coach of this team already. Is that what you people want? Jeff Fisher! Because that's how you get Jeff Fisher. Yeah, man, that's, that's good <laughs> stuff. It's just good stuff. <sighs> Chris, raise your glass. I'm going to try to be better in the coming year. And may we never, ever have to utter that just, just mulleted idiot's name again on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I have a grievance against those who still think that Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen and Trey White. That came from Paulie Moe on Twitter. Chris, that's pretty solid. No? Yeah, yeah that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, these people, the people who are continuing in 2019 to try to have this debate, regardless of what you're bringing to the table, know that I want to help you brush your teeth with a tire iron. Like it falls in line with that of like Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News who thinks like Ryan O'Reilly's playoff run just works on any team. Like Patrick Mahomes and his skill set just works on in any offense with any <laughs> personnel lineup. It's not how it works. Guys, this Patrick Mahomes thing, that horse has been beaten. It di- <laughs> it's beaten. It died. It was boiled into glue and is currently holding the labels onto my beer right now. It's it's just a tired trope, and it needs to go away. <sighs> and then you, you look at fan reaction to expectations and national perception. Some of you also have an issue with the way fans haven't fully embraced the idea that we could very well be in the process of moving from a borderline team to a potential contender. Chris, you start things off here. We're a good team. Bill's Mafia fucking act like it. Throw some dirt on the term... Billsy, expect to win. That is from Lars, host of the Bills and Beers podcast. (laughs) Bills backers of Chicago. I have a problem with people I've heard say I'd rather beat the Patriots than win a playoff game. This is our Super Bowl. I'm sorry, you don't get to say that when we actually have a chance to make the Super Bowl. Stop thinking small! (laughs) That came from Legacy057 on Reddit. Chris... They both make pretty valid points, correct? Those are valid points. Those are all valid. And I bet you they feel better just yelling that into the ether. I know I do. I'm laughing just reading this. This one's a doozy. Airing of my 2019 hashtag Bill's grievances. One, please, Bill's Twitter, stop arguing with any analyst who criticizes or critiques Josh Allen. I want him to be good, too, but it makes us look petty. Two, Stop looking for national NFL analysts to spend the same time on the Bills as big teams. That came from Eric Kempf from Twitter. Festivus is back! (laughs) That last one comes from my old boss, Chris. 
From back when I worked at McDonald's on the New York State Thruway in high school. (laughs) Chris, the fact that he didn't murder me back then. Just so I could go on and bring you all this podcast, seems like it would be deserving of a toast, no? Cheers to Eric Kenneth. Cheers. (laughs) God, the patience that man had, because Lord knows I had it coming on almost a weekly basis. That's a, Chris, another valid point, no? Yeah, that is valid. Never gonna get the the same shine as major market teams, despite maybe being better than some of them. At least until we win a playoff game or two. At that point, those stuffed shirts and the collections of just windbaggery at ESPN and FS1 have to take notice of us. But until then, until you accomplish something meaningful in the postseason, this is our lot. No? I mean, Chris. Next one, me. Bills fans, stop being so damn needy. Stop acting like the team should immediately return to relevance after two decades of being a terrible franchise. People think that the one good season means Buffalo should be leading Sports Center. That comes from Ch- uh, Ryan Lacell, Rock Sports Network, and the Huddle TV show. Chris, he's got a point. Yes. I mean, football fans might be coming around. I think that's evidenced by the fact that, our, we, Chris, we set a, what, a record on Thanksgiving? Yep, Thanksgiving. Had a high rating on Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football. Now, NFL Network. Yes. People who enjoy football enjoy watching the Buffalo Bills play. But there are too many analysts who have been burned over the years by backing us as being a legitimate contender. I mean, that dumbass Michael Robinson might be the only one who stuck to his guns. And look where that's gotten him. Yeah, Mocked it'll, it'll, annually by our stupid Bills podcast. Yeah, it only took him three. He's done it twice before, <laughs> so third time's a charm. Win a few playoff games. Watch how that changes. But until then, stop crying about it, people. Personnel decisions. Chris, the personnel decisions made by this team and the lack of development at certain positions has also come under fire in the 2019 Festivus celebration. I have a grievance against those who doubted Bean's best pick available in the third round of the 2019 draft. That came from Jeff Landers on Twitter. Oh, you son of a bitch. Okay, Jeff, you got me. I hear you loud and clear. Me hating the Singletary pick has proven to be something of what we in the business of podcasting refer to as a bad call. This is why we bring in experts for the draft. I mean, Chris, right here in front of you is a tweet from Ryan Talbot just today. Hashtag Bill's GM Brandon Bean added Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox in the third round of the draft. Singletary is second among rookie running backs in rushing yards. Montgomery Montgomery could pass him on Sunday Night Football, but he's been less effective. Knox is second among rookie tight ends in receiving yards. Great value picks. I mean, it pretty much speaks for itself. (laughs) Yeah, my mind is blown of of how our brass knows what you can get out of Dawson Knox with his limited tape as they had of him in college. Blows my mind. Listen, I'm convinced I could actually start my own anti-draft guide at this point. Jeff, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I upset you. (laughs) I apologize. I promise I'll try to be better in 2020, all right? Oh, 
Here comes Brian Rossignol from Twitter. Wasting snaps opposite Brown at wide receiver. Zay Jones, traded. McKenzie, we've got enough short guys. Foster, lacks fight. Duke, forgotten entirely. <laughs> hey, Chris, weren't we just talking about this? We touched on these this season. Just these mind-boggling omissions of talent across the field from our number one wide receiver. And it makes my blood boil a little because we failed over 17 weeks to develop a real answer at number two wide receiver on the outside of the outside of the offensive formation. Yeah, Duke Williams and TJ Eldon being inactive for so long from Joe B on Twitter. And, <laughs> and that's just it. I mean, it, it, they're both guys. Yeldon, is he just here for insurance? Why are you here? What are you doing? I mean, Chris, what could he have put? Did he put ranch on his wings? I mean, is that what he did? Is that why Probably. he's in the doghouse? I don't understand it. What I do know is that there's been some real questionable things going on with who sees the field and who doesn't. And it's just, it's, it's chapped a lot of asses. I'm glad we're finally talking about this. Getting it all out there. Specific players and the way that they play. Now, obviously, you knew this was going to come up. At some point, people were going to have a problem with the way certain people on this roster approach the game. One of the funniest, from Seloy on Reddit. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Don't hold the ball so long, Josh. And Beasley, leave the flopping to soccer. <laughs> Chris, I got to admit, that made me spit a little coffee out in the middle of the office. Way, I left way harder than I should. I mean, what do you want from the guy? He's barely 5'8". He's got a hair, he's got a flow that indicates that he, I, I'd argue he probably uses way more hair product than you do. It'd be close, but I guarantee you he does. I mean, I'd love to consult with him on what he uses. So through that lens, is anyone shocked that he flops like a footballer? <laughs> oh, you want to talk about problems with the roster? I've got one. And it's because of him I have to drink this Sangria Seagram's Escapes. You hear that, folks? That's the sound of diabetes. Well, he could have 47 catches on Sunday. You shut your mouth! (laughs) Fucking Robert Foster. What happened? Last year, you played your way onto the field as an undrafted free agent rookie and left Bills fans everywhere, me included, with visions of a brown foster combination just terrorizing safeties all over the NFL. I was so encouraged by the way that you played last year that I bet Aaron Quinn of CoverOne.com, a Seagrams, that you would have at least 50 receptions. And in 12 games, you gave me three. Three! Trace! Trois! Chris, the Roman numeral. There's only three lines there. (laughs) To quote the hockey coach from Letterkenny, Fucking embarrassing! <laughs> so cheers to you, you jerk. Thanks for pushing me closer to fucking hang out with Wilford Brimley. Lord help you if you don't pick it up in the preseason. Happy Festivus! Chris, entertain the people while I chug this nonsense. Uh, yeah, this is in response to a PFF tweet that the Bills are tied for the worst tackling grade in the entire league at 35%. I'm glad I live in... In a city that leads the country in in uh, bridges, because I need to jump off of one. Dave Gilbert on Twitter. <laughs> it was impressive that you drank all of that. Whoo, Chris! What do you even say to that guy? <laughs> I have no idea. 
I mean, maybe the silver lining here is don't jump off the bridge yet because we're still a playoff team, despite the fact that we don't tackle a goddamn thing. Woo! Jesus. And then the coaching staff. I mean, Chris, are you a fan of Sean McDermott? Love Sean McDermott. So am I. Him and his crew have done an amazing job changing the culture around the team and crafting a squad that is made of what I think is just tougher stuff than over a decade's worth of Bills squads. But that doesn't mean they're above criticism. (laughs) Coming from 77C Kelly on Twitter, the ball going to Gore ever inside the 10 while moving away from Motor getting touches as the game goes on. Hates it. I mean, is he wrong? No. No, and neither is Eric Harris. I want McDermott and his staff to realize that first and 15 after a delay game penalty is preferable to losing a goddamn timeout. <laughs> okay, okay. Back that one up a second. His specific sentiment might be debatable, but what isn't is at least a third of the responses we got to Festivus this year had to do with McDermott in terms of his challenges and his clock management. That doesn't just come from nowhere. Maybe, Chris, they need to really take a look. Take take a look at the Steelers model. Hire an assistant whose only job is to follow McDermott around, communicating with the booth about challenges, watching the clock, and helping him helping advise him how to manage it. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you think that would be a miracle? It's a festivus miracle! Another one that came in, they need to learn to better manage a clock and have killer instinct. I mean, Chris, you saw the responses. In the wake of that Pat's loss, the Killer Instinct crowd was pretty rabid too, right? Oh, yeah, and that came from KD Carlson 15 on Twitter. And then you have <laughs> he the... He sits in the stadium with us. Yeah. He probably knew I was an ass long before any of you people. Yeah. It's literally since we've had seasons. Yeah, and then you got uh, from Mac Counterman on Twitter, the sequence against the Steelers, among many other things where the Bills don't trust Joss to just make a play in the red zone or at the end of the half. Whatever happened to hashtag play fearless? Now, this is the the area where my one grievance comes in with the Bills. There we go. Is, is coaches. Let it off and it's, chest, son. Get yeah, it out. And it's Brian Daybold. And it's not, not so much <laughs> for the way he calls his plays or game plans against specific teams or his lack of use of Devin Singletary to start the season. It's with your face. Pick a facial hair outline and stick to it. You're going to go beard? Go beard. You're going to go mustache uh, and look like a young Wilford Brimley pre-diabetes? Choose your facial hair and stick to it. (laughs) That's your criticism. That's my criticism. Good Lord. Do you feel better now? Yeah, Brian Dable's face. Do you feel better now that you said it? Fix it. And then, as always, our friend Fryerface from Reddit, he came through with some gold. He starts his post off, I've got a lot of problems with you people and you're going to hear about it. And by that, I mean you jamokes in Reddit on the game day threads. Holy hell, the amount of vitriol and spite you bastards have is over the top. Calm down, stop calling Dayball a moron, chill with your hot takes that Alan's trash, and let the team do its thing. And you, you petty shitheads over at PFF, pro football focus for you laymen. Guess what? Your stats are for shit. Josh Allen isn't a bust. Get over it. 
Steve Palazzolo, I especially want to take you to task for that stupid greasy mullet you have the audacity to still rock in 2019. The 80s are over, pal. Let it go. And lastly, Drew Gear, the man himself, I'm calling you out for your heinous devouring of raw vegetables, specifically green peppers. I mean, who in the hell does that? I used to work with a guy that does it. I'm not joking. I'm like, George, you literally walking around the shop eating a goddamn green pepper. Folks, You're not the only one. Folks, that's a guy who just hit the dump valve, and he's going to walk into 2020 feeling light as a feather. In response, I will say this, sir. First of all, Pro Football Focus has seemingly joined the rest of the analysis crowd that was so down on Josh Allen pre-draft that they can't help but keep reaching for confirmation that their original opinion was correct because they just can't handle being quote-unquote wrong. Considering that, I have to assume none of them are married. <laughs> Chris. Oh. And then, seeing Fahey, for all of you out there who, who hate that guy, he's not only a troll's troll, but he's one of the dying breed of men who's still trying to utilize that chin strap facial hair to hide a double chin. It doesn't work. Just, just give it up. Second of all, Chris, he, he's talking about fans who just can't <laughs> with their hot takes, calling people stupid, calling for people's jobs. Chris, aren't things better when you take my phone away from me during games? Oh, yeah. Usually up until Saturday when you, you throw out that tweet, you really hadn't tweeted much during games. I'm trying. I mean, who knows? Maybe Reddit needs a breathalyzer or some sort of field sobriety test before you post. I mean, God knows my life would be better if the Twitter had that. And then, for, why cut vegetables up? Listen, I'm a man who believes in efficiency. I believe in efficiency wherever I can find it. Even if the most impactful thing I do with all of that freed up time is put together this ridiculous podcast. I mean, I think we can all agree that it's time well spent. This is the best festivus ever! (laughs) Chris, it truly has been the best festivus ever. Because when it's over and we all got a chance to yell about the things we wanted to, We still have the knowledge that the Buffalo Bills are a playoff football team. And the next time we get together to record one of these, it'll be in preparation for a wildcard playoff game. Guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I've got to say that I feel better. (laughs) I hope that you do too. A happy Festivus and a Merry Christmas to you and your families. We love you guys, but we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.